Over the past few weeks and through various scriptures, we have watched how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church. As you look at Acts, a pattern begins to develop and we're able to see how in Acts, the Holy Spirit's influence extends farther and farther out into the world. In fact, when you really unpack it, the Holy Spirit follows the pattern Jesus sets out in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, now catch this, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that is why we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, the Holy Spirit appear in Jerusalem first. You remember the story. The Spirit falls upon the apostles and moves into the lives of 3,000 converts that day, and then later into people with various physical disabilities. But then we notice that the more the Holy Spirit moves, the more opposition Jesus' disciples face. But not even those who oppose the gospel can stop the Spirit from spreading into more and more people. I want you to hold on to that, church. Because our culture is rapidly, rapidly changing and becoming more hostile to Christianity. Now is not the time, church, to cower in fear. Now is not the time to cower and give up. But now is the time to trust that the Holy Spirit is working to take the gospel into more people's lives. So church, be bold. Be bold. Then we see in Acts chapter 6 how the apostles appoint seven Greek Jews to minister to the Greek Jewish widows. Now among these new deacons are two men named Stephen and Philip, whom the Spirit uses to continue the spread of God's word, Acts chapter 6 verse 7. Then in Acts 7, persecution of the church becomes deadly. You remember the story. The Jewish religious leaders seize Stephen after he preaches, and they try him in religious courts, court, and they sentence him to death. Stephen's execution launches an all-out persecution on Christians. But persecution does not stop the church. Because we come to Acts 8, where the Holy Spirit turns the persecution into a second movement of evangelism. You see, because of the persecution, uh, the apostles leave Jerusalem. And guess where they go? Judea and Samaria. So you see the movement that's happening with the Holy Spirit. Well, in Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40, we find Philip in Samaria of all places. And has, as has always been the case throughout, the Bible, throughout Bible history, there was an ethnic tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, which is why we're actually surprised to see Philip preaching in Samaria. You wouldn't expect that. But what is even more shocking is the positive response the Samaritans had to the gospel of Jesus. In fact, Acts 8, 8 says this, Great joy filled the Samaritan city. So let's pick up the story about Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. It says this, But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this is a desert road. And Philip rose and he went. You see, an angel suddenly appeared to Philip. And you may ask, does God still work through angels today? And the answer is, yes. 
Yes, God still works through angels, but angels are rarely visible today. And that's the difference. You see, the ministry of angels goes on all the time. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says this, Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to serve those who will be heirs of salvation. Those with faith in Jesus Christ, that's you and me, angels serve us. You see, our ministry as disciples of Jesus is being touched and affected by angels as they work to carry out God's providential activity in the world. And that's exactly what we see happening here. You see, in Scripture, angels work to fulfill God's providence. They fulfill God's providence through answered prayer. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 12, when an angel rescues Peter from prison in response to the church praying for Peter. Uh, How about by encouraging believers? Acts chapter 27, Paul is encouraged by an angel during a storm at sea. Uh, Angels also provide protection. 2 Kings chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6. But God also uses angels in evangelistic efforts as we see in Acts 8. God sends an angel to Philip and gives him an unexplained command to go south and take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a providential trip, which we will see in just a moment. Now, Philip must have scratched his head a bit at the strange GPS directions that the angel gave him. You see, by taking a desert road, that would have been one of the most indirect, emptiest stretches of road that one could have traveled on in those days. You see, on a desert road, there are no cities. There are no villages to use as a rest stop. There is nothing but desert. And yet notice Philip's response. No complaining. No correcting the angel. Philip simply obeys the message that God delivered to him through the angel. Now remember, God calls Philip to the desert road, even though an amazing evangelistic revival is happening in Samaria. You see, Philip is in high demand as a teacher of Jesus, and there's no shortage of opportunity for for Philip in Samaria. But Philip leaves the revival in Samaria to travel a desert road to Gaza. Now, we need to think about that for a moment. Both the revival Philip preached in verse 25 and the lonely desert road Philip was to travel in verse 26, guess what? They were both spirit-led ministry opportunities. This is important because in the church today, we tend to think that the Holy Spirit works only when something dramatic happens. But the desert road challenges us to never underestimate how the Holy Spirit may and can lead through the ordinary, how he can lead through the usual, an ordinary conversation with a friend over coffee. Uh, The Spirit can lead through the sharing of an idea you gleaned from your Bible study with somebody. The Spirit can lead in a timely and surprising crossing of paths with a friend you have not seen in ages while in the flooring section at the home improvement store. Simple? Yes. Ordinary? Yes. But also, God's providence I remember as a young couple when Tammy and I lived in Oklahoma City, 
We were called there to start a young adult ministry at a church. Now, at our first Wednesday night gathering, we had a whopping seven people show up at our place. Now, mind you, two of the seven were Tammy and myself. But we started to meet. We met in the living room of that trailer in that mobile home, and all we did was eat a meal together, talk about God's word, and pray. Well, here's what's amazing. Those seven turned into 30 people in the living room of our mobile home. And out of those 30 people, people were being baptized. Faiths were being revitalized, and people were engaging in ministry to others in a way I had never witnessed before. And here's the best part. There was no program involved. We literally ate together, talked about scripture, and prayed together. And the Spirit moved. You see, we need the book of Acts because in it we find the early Christians simply living in response to the Holy Spirit's movement, to God's providence. You see, as God's providence broke into the ordinary routine in the way the church never anticipated in those early days. So here's a question. How responsive? How responsive are you to the role God's providence is playing to give you the opportunity to minister to people on God's behalf? Are you using the opportunity of God's providence to minister to people? Well, let's keep reading our text. Look at verse 27. It says, And Philip rose and went, and behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a minister of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. Well, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, Acts chapter 8, 27 to 28. Now, where do you see God's providence at work in these verses? Take a look at it. Did you notice how God is working on the eunuch before Philip even shows up? You see, the eunuch was a man of great responsibility. He was the secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia, and he had great authority and therefore was a, of great influence throughout all of Ethiopia and Egypt. You see, he worked with the queen. The eunuch was obviously a spiritual seeker. The reason he's in Jerusalem, it appears, he came to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, even though he wasn't a Jew. He's there to investigate the Jewish faith. Now, once the Jewish lessons are over, he jumps back into his chariot to travel home. But he was such a great student. As he contemplated all he learned in the temple, there's still a restlessness within him. He's still not satisfied. In fact, he buys a copy of the book of Isaiah to learn more. And as he rides along in his chariot, he reads Isaiah out loud, as they did in those days. Well, here comes the Holy Spirit into the story. Listen to verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. This is powerful. Watch the text. As a sheep led to the slaughter, 
or a lamb before its shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken up from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, pray, does the prophet say this about, uh, excuse me, about whom, pray, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Now talk about perfect timing. Philip was walking along the road he had been commanded to take by the angel, and there was nothing in sight for miles, just a bunch of sand. Well, then a chariot comes over the hill, and he pat and, and uh, Philip is told to go after it. And at the precise moment he gets there, the man in the chariot passes the evangelist, and he happens to be reading out loud the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which predicts the coming of the Messiah, the suffering Savior. Is that fate? Nope. It's the providence of God. You see, the angel and the Holy Spirit have guided Philip to this moment. Now, the question is, what will Philip do? What will Philip do with this ministry opportunity? Well, the first thing he does is he asks a question. Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch replies, how can I, unless someone guides me? There's an important insight here. You see, in his reading of scripture, the eunuch is made aware that he needs something more to understand God's word. He realizes that God's full provision is necessary to make God's word clear, to make God's word understandable. Here's the truth I'm trying to get at. It is always a mistake to take the Bible and say, well, I'm just going to read the Bible for myself. I don't need anybody else to teach me what God says to me. That's what I'll act upon. Hmm. Yes, God did give us the scripture so we could know him. But God also gave certain believers the spiritual gift of teaching to help the church understand and explain Scripture to others. You see, this text raises an important question for each of us to consider. Who do you meet with? Who do you meet with regularly to be taught God's Word? Well, the eunuch recognizes Philip as a teacher. And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Even though the eunuch was at the right, the right passage that talked about Jesus, he was still confused by a Messiah who would suffer. A Messiah who would suffer. You see, the Old Testament has many pictures of the coming Messiah, but most of them show him coming in triumph, uh, power, glory. Uh, they show him coming in victory, riding over the enemies of Israel as the great king. The Old Testament shows the Messiah as the one who would restore peace to the earth. You see, the Messiah was expected to be a victorious military general. And this was an easy image for the Jews to see in the difficult times in which they lived. But here's the challenge. The scriptures also show the Messiah to be a suffering Savior. 
The image of a suffering savior, that is what is confusing to the Jews. You see, the Jews loved the prophecies picturing the Messiah as coming in triumph and power and victory. But to see the Messiah as a sufferer, to see the Messiah as one who must die by laying down his life, who could imagine such a thing? Who has ever heard of winning by losing? Well, this is what confuses the eunuch. So he asks, why does the prophet say that the Messiah has to die? And it's right at that point that Philip was ready with a prepared message. Oh, he knew the scripture. In fact, we read in verses 35 to 38, it says this, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this, with this scripture, Isaiah 53, he told the eunuch the good news of Jesus. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Oh, I love this part of the story. Philip must have done a great job teaching because the eunuch, he now knows who Jesus is. But Philip doesn't stop with giving the eunuch knowledge about Jesus alone. Philip gives him even more. You see, Philip was commanded, as all disciples are, by the great to, to live out the great commission that Jesus commanded. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things which I have commanded. And that's what we see Philip do. You see, by the eunuch's response, Philip did what Jesus commanded him to do. Philip told the eunuch about baptism, how baptism is the first action of faith that takes hold of God's promises in Jesus to forgive sins and to give the Holy Spirit to believers in Jesus. So, what is the Holy Spirit doing as Philip teaches the eunuch? Well, obviously, preparing for the eunuch's baptism. Because at that precise moment, in the middle of a desert, the eunuch sees a pool of water at the side of the road. And he says, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so the eunuch and Philip, they wade into the water and Philip baptized him. Talk about God's providence. A pool of water in the desert. Now listen to the closing of the story, verses 39 to 40. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught up Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found, and passing on, he preached the gospel to all the towns till he came to Caesarea. Hmm. You see, if I were Philip, after such an amazing experience, are you like me? Would you want to figure out how to make it happen again? But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit doesn't ask us to create programs that will force the Holy Spirit to act and to bless the same way that he did in the past. No. 
See, as disciples, our job is to always be ready to respond when the providence of God gives us opportunity to minister. That's what Philip does. You see, when Philip gets to that area, he did not expect to have another dramatic leading like that with the eunuch. In fact, what he does, he simply preaches. In the, he preaches in the place where he was located, and he kept moving right up the coast till he came to Caesarea. You see, that's how the Holy Spirit-filled life works. The Holy Spirit-filled life, it'll have plenty of routine, plenty of the usual, plenty of the ordinary. But that which we think of as ordinary is possibly touched with the power of the Holy Spirit for ministry to take place. May each of us, may each of us be available to be used for ministry in the providential work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Church, don't pass an opportunity by when God puts someone in your path to speak about Jesus, because it could be his providence that brings them to the Lord.